Welcome everyone to Last Song Standing, a show about your favorite artist's greatest song of all time. I'm Cole Kushner. And I'm Charles Holmes. And in this first season of Last Song Standing, we're diving deep into one of the most talented and complicated rappers of a generation. That's right, Kendrick Lamar. Cole and I are debating our way through his entire catalog in an effort to decide what's the greatest Kendrick song of all time. Y'all already know what the LSS boys are about. One album, two hosts, three nominees. And at the end of the show, we both pick the best songs off a project to take into the season finale, where we're going to have to whittle down our picks until there is only one last song standing. We're four episodes in. Cole, can I can I keep it real with you? Yeah, let's hear it. I'm burning through takes. I have no more takes to give. <laughs> I am burnt out on all the takes. I'm just like, I have Kendrick takes for days. I have like locked and loaded ones that are going to get Cole pissed, dissect <laughs> listeners pissed, Kendrick fans pissed. You're out? I'm really scared that I'm running out. <laughs> so it's like a little kid at a at a at like an amusement park, just like expending all energy in the first hour. I literally wasted so many <laughs> of my takes and so much of my energy on the first three episodes. I believe in you, man. Today's episode, I was like, <laughs> like I don't know if I have takes. Yeah, don't, don't feel the pressure. It's okay, Charles. You're only human. Just like Kendrick took the crown off on Mr. Morale, you got to take the take crown off every once in a while. So beautiful. Guys, I'm not your savior. For all the Kendrick haters out there, I'm not your savior. (laughs) You know who your savior is on Last Song Standing? Cole. So, Cole, I have to ask you, you need to take us back to the board so we can remind listeners what our individual nominees for Kendrick's greatest song are so far. Yeah, we're three episodes in, three albums in. Um, First episode, we hit Good Kid, Mad City. Can I just be honest? We agreed on the song Mad City. But ever since then, in the back of my mind, I have a little bit of regret that I didn't pick. Money Trees. No, Sing About Me. Oh, no. I think I have my first regret of, of my list is not having having Sing About Me on there. But episode two, we diverged. We did Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. I chose Mother I Sober. You chose Father Time. Yep. Episode three, last week, you chose DNA off of Dam, and I chose Fear off of Dam. Yeah, looking at my list, personally, I feel like mine's pretty balanced. I got, some, I got the banger on there. I got couple of emotional songs your list i don't know man you're kind of like bangers just bang <laughs> can i call you a basic bitch is that appropriate oh i'm a normie <laughs> i'm literally a normie i'm not doing any of that like sing about me i'm dying of thirst shit. like i'm like nah you can't throw those songs on at a fun shit like everybody if you throw that on at your barbecue people would be like shut that shit off so <laughs> i am a normie i appeal to the basic bitches out there so yeah i'm totally happy with my okay list. charles but let me just say you're back that was just you just gave a hot take you just shit on sing about me i'm biting her thirst based on <laughs> based on the comments uh, uh so far about this show uh, that's been a very popular choice. So you're back, baby. I'm so back, but let's get to it. All right. Everybody's wondering, what are y'all going to do on this episode? And today we're going back to the comment sections of two dope boys and not nah, right. It's 2011 and people still have hope for a black hippie album. That's never coming. <laughs> that's right. We're about to dive into Kendrick's debut album slash mixtape section 80. Section 80. Acting like hoes. Everybody heard that I fuck with Dre. Anyone to tell me I made it, nigga. I wrote this record while 30,000 feet in the air. Steward is complimenting me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Cole. 
since we're since we're traveling back in time to uh, 2011, um, we need to set up when we first heard Section 80. So me, I was a chip off the old block, a youngster with so much vigor. The takes had not curdled yet. I was just positive. Just, <laughs> uh, just the, my future was looking bright. Right. Uh, <laughs> and Very it, appropriate to this album, yeah. And in 2011, um, I love Section 80. It was probably the first Kendrick record where I feel like he really started to put things together. At that time, I was super, super, super into the blogosphere. Mm. And looking back on it, I just love some of the worst mixtapes from <laughs> Everett Wallet, Kid Cudi, Wiz Khalifa. Uh, Kendrick was in there, Big Sean, everything. If it was a mixtape, I was downloading it. And when Section 80 came out, it was this moment where... There was kind of this feeling that Kendrick was coming up on the West Coast. And I remember he was on the double XL freshman list. Can I read to you who was on the list with Kendrick? All right, let's hear it. All right. So Meek Mill, Big Crit, Sci-High the Prince, Lil Twist, Yellow Wolf, Fred the Godson, Mac Miller, YG, Lil B, Kendrick Lamar, and Diggy Simmons. It's a pretty good list, actually, you know? That's actually a really, really solid list, but it's kind of funny where Kendrick is by far the biggest artist on that list. But when that list came out, I wouldn't say that he was uh, the one that everybody was tapping. To me, Mac Miller at that point, Meek Mill, uh, Lil B, all of them were more famous than Kendrick to me. Is that a wild take? No, I think that's true. I think that's true. Because uh, I, if I remember correctly, this came out before Section 80, right? This list? I believe so, yes. Yeah. So I think Section 80, as we'll talk about, kind of, really solidified his reputation but you know overly dedicated showed promise but yeah it was i don't think kendrick was high on very many people's lists where were you when you heard section 80 because talking to you as our friendship has blossomed you didn't listen to section 80 in 2011 you came back to it yeah this was and as i've talked about on the show before i was at this point in college studying classical music and that's to, in order to survive in that world, I had to listen to nothing but classical music for four years. And so when I emerged, you know, Good Kid was the album that put me on to Kendrick. Um, I'd heard his name, of course, but Good Kid was what kind of sold me on Kendrick. And then I went back to Section 80. So I didn't experience it in real time, but it's actually pretty interesting as like, I try to, con I don't consider myself a music historian at all, but like, I think hip hop wise, 2011 is a very interesting year when you do look back on it. Because you have this, it's like very much a bridge between generations, right? You have Watch the Throne coming out in 2011. Jay-Z and, and Kanye are like on this victory lap, right? They're the kings of hip-hop at this time. Wait, you know why they made that album though, right? Why? Kanye has said that they made Watch the Throne because Drake was like so hot and so popular. Mm. Him and Jay are like, we need to come out with something, which... It's Kanye, so like maybe take that with a grain of salt. But to your point of like this being a generation where like Drake is coming up and right. J. Cole yeah. and and Kendrick and Meek, it is this kind of passing of the torch, even if it's very reluctantly. Yeah, no, definitely. And you know, we have I mean, listen to all these albums that come out in 2011: Take Care, uh, Live Love ASAP, Blue Slide Park, Mac Miller's debut, Cole World, J. Cole's debut, Goblin from Tyler, Camp from Gambino. And so you have like all these 
you know, kind of generation-defining artists all releasing their first major works. And I think Section 80 falls into that category for Kendrick. Um, and Kendrick even acknowledged this kind of transition in an interview. He said, um, "What were you, he was asked, what were some of your thoughts after Section 80 came out? And he said, my favorite rappers like Jay-Z, Kanye, Nas, they're in a whole different space now. They were once in the space we were at as kids, but now they're into money. So we can't really relate to the average 18-year-old getting out of high school. <laughs> um, and so get, you know, getting fucked up, going to parties, and just being carefree. And basically, he goes on to say, like, Kanye, basically, Kanye and Jay-Z aren't fulfilling that role anymore. And now it's this new generation's job to fulfill you know, relatable music about everyday struggle because Kanye and Jay-Z are just not on that level anymore. So I thought that was pretty interesting that Kendrick himself saw that kind of bridge and that passing of the torch uh, taking place. And we'll talk about this later, but you know, Kendrick literally gets passed the torch after this album from Snoop and the game and Dr. Dre. Um, so that's, that's kind of my big takeaway, like from a historical pers perspective about, you know, 2011 and section 80 more broadly. Yeah. Kendrick was calling them old niggas washed. <laughs> like for real, bro. But yo, for those of you that have forgotten or are listening for the first time, the rules of LSS are pretty simple. Each episode, we cover one album and are forced to crown the last song standing. That means we can choose one song off each album, the one we think is better than the rest. Then at the end of the season, we'll have our Royal Rumble finale where we'll bring the best songs we've chosen from each album and duke it out until we both can agree on what is the single greatest Kendrick Lamar song of all time. We are about to dive into the album, but first we got to go to break. Make sure you stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade, boulder dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's, huzzah, a toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by 7-Eleven. What if I told you you could get a big snack almost anywhere for less than five bucks? Let's talk 7-Eleven's $3 big meal deal with seven rewards. Big meal deal is a big bite hot dog and a large big gulp drink, and you won't find a better snack deal anywhere else. Here's what I put on my hot dog. Mustard. And that's it. That's it. I love a hot dog with mustard. Maybe if the chili, if I'm feeling it, if I'm feeling crazy, maybe a little chili, maybe a little nacho cheese, but I'm a hot dog and mustard guy. But if that sounds like your kind of bite, visit 7-Eleven, valid through 1725. 7-Eleven has the right to end this promotion early, plus tax, applicable on large, big gulp only, participating U.S. stores only. See app for full terms. All rights reserved. All right, Cole, we set up kind of the landscape of where music was in 2011, but let's dive a little bit deeper into um, Section 80. Uh, it was released on July 2nd, 2011. Depending upon who you ask, this is either Kendrick's real debut album um, or it's just another mixtape. It features appearances from Schoolboy Q, BJ the Chicago Kid, Absol, and GLC. It only spawned one single high power, but... Honestly, it might as well have been two because ADHD is by far the biggest song off this project. Uh, and for those that are wondering, you're like, how much did this Kendrick album sell? I was in the trenches when this dropped, and I'm so happy that it dropped in 2011 where people really weren't up on Kendrick because, you know, 
the Drake aficionados, Aubrey's Angels would use this against him. Uh, <laughs> it sold 5,000 copies in its first week. It debuted at number 113 on the Billboard 200, which... 5,000. That's so weird to hear, right? Like 5,000. Kendrick- but here's the thing. To give... Kendra credit this is at a time where like streaming is not where it's at yeah. where it's like even though Ken- Kendrick wasn't like that popular the streaming economy was still really really weird yeah. so there were a lot of rappers during that time who would sell like a thousand copies in the first week also billboard hadn't really changed how they calculated exactly yeah so like Kendrick was way bigger than he like th- yeah. the sales would tell you. There was just no way for there was a way. Billboard was just kind of lazy and behind the times, but there was no way at that time to be like, okay, this is how big Kendrick is. Right, and it's kind of this weird bridge between like this like 2011 is definitely like the death of the mixtape. It it was kind of veering towards that for a few years, but once streaming became prominent, the, the mixtape tag just became just that a tag it was like i'm calling this a mixtape to give you different expectations going in but at this time it was kind of they were still doing mixtapes quote unquote and i think that's why section 80 we can never tell if it's a mixtape or an album because at this time it was just becoming so homogenized and weird that it it was just you couldn't tell um but yeah that's pretty fun just to hear five thousand copies and kendrick amar album is just really weird to hear um, but let me, um, you mind if I set up some of the, uh, the album themes for section 80? Let's go to this little old campfire. <laughs> All right. Us eighties kids. Well, I wasn't born in the eighties, but us eighties kids in spirit. Tell us about the concepts behind section 80. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's like conceptual campfire, right? So the songs are kind of positioned as stories told around a campfire, um, specifically, they're stories about Kendrick Lamar's generation, the 1980s, or babies that were born in the 1980s, uh, and grew up specifically during this war on drugs, you know, that had all these, uh, the Ronald Reagan era, uh, all these policies that disproportionately targeted black and brown communities, and Kendrick's kind of giving us the result of those policies. Um, so we see this reflected in the album title itself, which most people know. It combines Section 8 government housing with the 1980s. Um, and Kendrick actually tells us why he wrote this album directly. If you watch the video for High Power, the first single, um, there's a little blurb that comes on screen. And it, and it says, I wrote Section 80 because I was ordered to do so. I got a visit from Lizane Parish Crooks. Research his name. I remember being asleep. His image said, don't let me die. I was paranoid. I said, why? He said, because you're the dot, dot, dot. And so when you research who this person, Lizane Parish Crooks is, it's the real name of Tupac Shakur. And it's alluding to this famous dream that Kendrick had where essentially Tupac comes to him and says, you're the next generation. I'm passing the torch to you. Kind of our generation depends on you. And I think that's kind of the beginning of Kendrick's story as, as we've talked about on this podcast a lot, as savior, as a generational leader. Um, and Section 80 doesn't come to like a resolution or narrative conclusion. There's not really a storyline that, that we've come to expect from Kendrick albums, but there is kind of a conceptual philosophical resolution, and that is the, the song High Power. So throughout section 80 we hear all these stories about people trapped in compton and the cycles that they get caught into 
Um, and a high power offers a philosophical kind of framework to escape that cycle, or at least this was what Kendrick was thinking at the time, which is this high power philosophy of heart, honor, and respect. And it's a, it's kind of an antidote to the mental prison or the dangerous cycles that the people in his community are caught up in. So I don't know. How's that, how's that sound to you? It's sitting with me beautifully, but can I, uh, can I ask you a really important question? All right. And answer honestly. Okay. All right. We're 40, 50 years in the future. You finally get a Kendrick Lamar interview after years and years. He sits down with you. Had the greatest interview of your life. And then you guys are like shooting the shit. And he goes, yo, can I tell you a secret, Cole? And you're like, of course, Kendrick. You're my favorite artist ever. He's like... (laughs) That Tupac dream was bullshit. I never had it. No. It was just a good. It was just a good dream. Like it, was like it was just like a good idea that I had for like a mixtape, and I just ran with it because nobody could prove otherwise. How would you feel? Oh, a little bit disappointed, but then I would think like, yeah, I think what gets lost in Kendrick's kind of legacy is how young he was. Like he was like twenty two when he was making Section eighty. So I would think, yeah, maybe it's just like an adolescent kind of like <laughs> embellishing his story to you know sound interesting as we do as you know 18 to 22 year olds so i'd probably as you know as my personality often does give him the benefit of the doubt and you know try to see it from his perspective i would love him more like i would actually he would be my favorite <laughs> rapper of all time it'd be the funniest thing anyone's ever seen <laughs> i think the dream like really exhibits like kendrick really does feel like he's chosen like that you know, that we, as we talked about with Good Kid, Mad City, like that divine intervention that happens in the the Food for Less parking lot. Him seeing you know Dr. Dre and Tupac filming California Love video on his father's shoulders when he was eight year old boy in Compton. Him having this dream about Tupac, like I think, as we often do when we're young, like all these things, you go like, oh, what does this mean? Like, am I chosen? Am I, am I the one? And I think it just speaks to like. Yeah, it's just so interesting returning to these albums after Mr. Morale specifically because he does take off that crown and just going back and realizing all these these events in his life that made him feel like the savior. And then, you know, and maybe this is a good place to talk about him getting formally past the torch, but then, you know, 10 years later taking it off. I don't know. When I saw, I, I went back and watched the video for anyone that hasn't seen this, they should definitely go look it up on YouTube. There's a video of, of Kendrick performing live after Section 80. I think it's about a month after sec- Section 80. was released, and it's it's a concert with the game. And Snoop Dogg comes on stage and essentially like passes Kendrick the West Coast torch and says, you're the future of hip-hop. And Kendrick starts bawling his eyes out on stage. And I went back and watched it before we recorded this, and I don't... like. It was tough to watch because I just kept thinking like Mr. Morale, here he is getting the crown put on his head and 10 years later, he takes it off. And all the things that had to happen within that 10-year span for him to realize that he wasn't this savior. I don't know. I just thought that was kind of interesting. Do you have any thoughts like that returning to this album? Uh, Yes. I think Kendrick, weirdly, is probably there in terms of hip-hop narcissists. There is Kanye on a mountain of his own, like at number one. (laughs) And then far down, number two, I think is Kendrick in terms of like probably two of the most critically acclaimed artists ever, especially of our lifetime. And it is funny going back, listening to like Mr. Morale with 
Kendrick probably doing the thing that Kanye never will, which is kind of being like, wait, I'm not the savior. And that's fine. And like listening to section 80, you get that, you know? Yeah. To me, it's, I mean, I just think about my mindset when I was 16 to, you know, 25 and how I felt like, I mean, as often youthful people do, they feel like they're going to change the world. Their generation is going to be the one that, that fixes everything. And you have all these ambitions and all these, uh, yeah, all these ambitions to do so many great things. And as adulthood often does for a lot of people, it really, I don't know. It breaks you. <laughs> and that's, I it think grinds that's I was, you down. <laughs> it really does. And that's like one of the things I thought about when I watched that video, you know, is just like, yeah, he, we experienced adulthood along with Kendrick. Um, and it was kind of ironic because I think about To Pimp a Butterfly and what Tupac said on To Pimp a Butterfly was like, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but he said like, you know, in this country, uh, you got to, essentially you got to do everything while you're young because by the time you're 30, they take the heart and soul out of a black person in America. And then Kendrick being 30 or so when he's, you know, uh, writing Mr. Morale and that kind of like that playing yeah. out, it's just kind of ironic and kind of, kind of sad. Oh, it's so sad. Cole, look at us bonding over <laughs> how existence tends to, uh, grind you to a powder <laughs> that just doesn't want to exist, but it is time. To segue, not the yeah, right. most uh, elegant segue, <laughs> but it's not a segue to our first bit of the day, which is Damn That's Wild, which is our trivia corner. Cole has two questions. I have two questions, or I might have one question. And both of us are going to try to stump each other on some unknown facts or little known facts about Section 80. Cole, would you like to go first? Yeah, I got a good one. It's, it's right up your alley. Um, okay, so according to Kendrick... Who was the first person to hear Section 80 outside his immediate circle? Dr. Dre. No. Well, wait. Can we... You want a hint? J. Cole. Close. Close. Listen to your heart. He, he's come up a lot on this podcast. Drake? Yep. Really? Yeah. yeah. So Drake was, Drake was, so Kendrick was in Toronto in 2011, June, like a couple months before the album comes out. And him and Drake hung out for the first time. And then that night after they met, Kendrick emailed him Section 80. He was the first person to hear it outside Kendrick's circle. He said this about it, quote, He was actually the first person to hear Section 80. I gave it to him that night. He was catching a flight somewhere. And I sent it through email, and he was just rocking with it for a minute, really bigging me up on the project, telling me that to keep doing what I'm doing, that it's amazing. Uh, and then probably a week after it dropped, he said he wanted to get me on his album. So his feature on Take Care was because of this. And he said, the first time he told me, he said he wanted me to get on a song with The Weeknd, which I don't think ever transpired, but kind of interesting. Little little tidbit for you there, Charles. Honestly, a Drake and Kendrick song, like where they're actually collaborating would be trash. Uh, so I'm glad <laughs> that never happened. Uh, also, it's just very funny to realize at one point the two of these people were friends. And then uh, as hip hop in America does, they are now enemies for right. a variety of reasons. That's a great, that's a great fact. I did not know that. Mine is going to be way just more granular. All right. Can you name the DJ that gave Kendrick the hookup on the RZA vocals that appear on Ronald Reagan era? Oh, shit. Um, yeah, that's a good question because I feel like I knew this. Because um, we both know we both know the story of how it happens. Yeah, yeah. Who was it? It was... All right, just tell me. Just tell me. All right. 
quote, my man DJ Friction overseas. He worked with RZA. RZA liked my music. He liked the rawness and the feel of it. I've been talking back with my dude, DJ Friction, and he said RZA was sitting on some vocals over there and that I could flip the motherfuckers. That's what Kendrick told Complex. See, I knew you knew the story, but I'm like, I guarantee you he's forgotten the name of the DJ. Guarantee it. Yeah, I don't... Yeah, uh, I wouldn't have guessed that. I thought it was someone more well-known, but I guess, yeah, apparently not. So what's your next question, Cole? Okay, so after Section 80 was released, Kendrick was sued for $1 million for an uncleared sample. What song was this sample used in? It was the one with Schoolboy Q. Spiteful Chant? Nope. Wait. Wait, no, I know this one. I know this one. <laughs> you can don't school- Google it. You're go- I can hear your keyboard. You're Googling. Whoa! I know it's the. I know it's cheating. Wait, it's not the spiteful chant. Are you sure it's not the spiteful chant? I'm hundred percent. Well, maybe he got he got sued. I think a couple of times, but I'm specifically the one for one million dollars was rigor mortis. Oh shit! Okay, I feel like he. All right, I do feel like he got sued for like two or three songs. I really, yeah, I think he actually did because this was again. This goes back to the ambiguity of a mixtape. If you release a mixtape and you never sell it, you can use unclear samples because it's just an internet thing. Because they sold Section 80, he got sued a number of times for uncleared samples. It seems like they treated it like a mixtape and then sold it like an album, so they got in trouble for that. So, yeah, Rigor Mortis, he got sued for $1 million by Willie the Jones III, who's a jazz drummer. They sampled his song, never cleared it. Um, It sounds like it was settled out of court because what he was asking for was $1 million and all profits from the song from that point on, which is pretty wild especially for a a new artist but they ended up settling out of court because the charges were dropped um but yeah kind of an interesting fact hit me with your last question they they were trying to run kendrick's pockets early (laughs) this wasn't even good they were just like yo open the pockets up (laughs) hey respect my last question is so easy because i was running out of ones i was like this one is just a softball for my friend cole what was the first name for high power i don't know this you don't know this? This is so, like, this is like a real easy one. Is it? Okay, just tell me because I'm probably going to be embarrassed. Black High Power? Oh, okay. <laughs> come on, Cole. That's not, I mean, come on. That's not, that doesn't count. <laughs> if we're going to be honest, and we'll talk about this later, High Power as a concept and as a name title for a song is kind of clunky. But <laughs> we're gonna yeah, get we'll get that. there. We'll get there. And I have just like one, it's not a question, but I thought this was really interesting in my research. So, you know what Metacritic is? Yes, absolutely. Okay, yeah. But tell, tell our listeners yeah, who may not know. So it's like, uh, they essentially, they take album reviews or film reviews and they kind of homogenize all rankings uh, and ratings of that particular album and give an average score. And so you kind of get like a, a bird's eye view of what this album did critically. And so the Metacritic score for uh, Section 80 is 80. Pitchfork gave it an 8.0. Hip Hop DX gave it an 8 out of 10. Anthony Fantano gave it an 8 out of 10. You go through all the the scores of this album and they're all 80. Section 80. Kind of I don't know. You know what that you know what that means, Cole? What? That TDE check cleared. <laughs> it was paying off all of the critics. He was just like, yo, just give this an eight out of ten. Yo, I got like ten G's for you right away. Uh, okay. All right. So now that we've set up the history, the themes, we've done a little trivia, it's time to move on to the next segment of the show. That's right. It's 
Nominations time. And the award goes to Kendrick Lamar. Damn, Kendrick Lamar. And the Grammy goes to to Pimp a Butterfly, Kendrick Lamar. All right, remember the goal of each episode of Last Song Standing is for Cole and I to determine the single best song from a Kendrick album. The songs we select over the course of the season will then duke it out in a season finale Royal Rumble where we will be forced to agree on the Last Song Standing, the single best song by Kendrick Lamar. Right now, we're each nominating what songs from Section 80 should be in the running and why. Cole, who do we want to go first this time? I think I went first last time, so I'm going to give it to you. You know what? Let's get... We're going to agree on this one. I know we're going to agree on this one. So can we just get it out of the way? Like, let's right. just talk about boys on this song. You know what time it is. Rigor Mortis. Amen. Got me breathing with dragons. I cracked the egg in your basket, you bastard. I'm Marilyn Manson. Don't ask me your favorite rapper. I wrapped them and made them cast, but I captured the likes of Nassau. I think that this is a song that we can both agree. If you're a Kendrick fan, just touches a, a part of your soul. I think it is something that we don't get a lot with Kendrick anymore, which is him unfettered by the need to like sell you on this kind of like big concept or mm. or show you just like how great maybe his storytelling is rigor mortis is classic mixtape era i am going to just bowl you over with how good i am at rapping and how bad your favorite artists are at <laughs> rapping and i love it so like before we kind of get into the nitty-gritty of what we love Cole, was this on your board? Was was Rigor Mortis on your board? It is. It is my favorite song on Section Eighty. It is was top of my list. I don't know if it's his best song, um, but it exactly to your point. It is exactly what I want to hear from Kendrick Lamar in 2011. One of the best things about returning to an artist's early catalog is you can hear the hunger. Yeah, and I feel like more than any other song, you can hear on Rigor Mortis Kendrick's desire to be respected to prove himself to yeah like you said kill every other rapper this is the competition that kendrick you know admits to on father time uh 10 years later on mr morale him just big upping himself putting down everybody else it's just and then virtuosic if you will probably i'll break down a little bit of of the rhyme schemes and stuff here in a second but yeah to your point it's everything i want to hear from kendrick amar in 2011 it's so fun I mean, even the chorus, just the got me breathing with dragons, I'll crack the egg in your basket, basket, you bastard, I'm mailing Manson with madness. Like, he's using every single tool in his chest as a as a lyricist, whether it's the alliteration, whether mm-hmm. it's the eternal rhyme. It's not just difficult because he's rapping it so fast. It's difficult because the way he has to stretch these words, like you have to think about it, like bastard and madness don't rhyme at all, but the way that they're hitting and the way he's kind of contorting each word and like just the fact that when he says, I'm Marilyn Manson with the madness, now just imagine the magic. It's that repeated M sound that keeps hitting you back and back. It, when I first heard it, I was like, oh, no, this is the beauty of Kendrick, where I think a lot of rappers a lot of time think that they're good at rapping because the rap is complicated, but very few of them really think about, no, this has to hit the ear yeah. and be pleasurable. Yeah. And I love the fact that the chorus especially is almost at war with that sample. 
Oh yeah. It's just uh, sorry. I'm ne- I've never acted like this about Kendrick, but I really this is just <laughs> you're glowing. I love I love when you glow on this podcast because I know deep down you're just trying to resist. So <laughs> you're just trying to resist. I can't love anything. And here, yeah, rigor mortis. I love that you pointed that out because one of the interesting things about the the chorus is that yeah, he's not actually rhyming the words. What he's doing is. And so usually when you rhyme, you're rhyming the last syllable of every word. What he's yeah. doing on the, the the chorus is actually rhyming the first syllable of the last word. So that's why he can get away with dragons, it's draw, and then basket, bastard, madness. Like it's the first syllable that he's rhyming. But to your point, it sounds great. You know, Eminem or Lupe Fiasco can do this kind of stuff and it sometimes sounds just like technical barf. Yeah. Um, here it just sounds really good and i love that you brought up that it's like at odds with the production because it is and i this is one of the, the things i love about this song i've been i've like long and i'm not the first one to have this take but i've long considered hip hop and jazz to be parallel art forms there i think you can make a case that like kendrick lamar if he were to never rap and just picked up a trumpet or a saxophone would have been a great trumpet or saxophone player really? because yeah because like if you think about like what rapping is, take out the words and just listen to the rhythm and the cadence and the flow. Mm. It's just like a jazz solo, like quite literally, just like a jazz solo. And so the the kind of like the rhythmic inclination of rappers is, I think, the same inclination of like a jazz player. Um, and that's what I think. This is like a jazz song. Like obviously, you have the jazz sample. It's a syncopated rhythm. The sample is, and then we we get Kendrick rapping to the same tempo of of the beat but like he's doing so many offbeat accents that it just kind of like it all kind of homogenizes into this really complex rhythmic texture that you find a lot in jazz um and i love that the concept is killing your favorite rapper it's about murdering that's why rigor mortis is the title rigor mortis is uh, a stage in death which is going to actually bring me to my first. I've actually I got two hot or cold takes today uh, because oh. last last episode I felt like I let let the listeners down because I didn't really have a strong one. So I got two for you. For the listeners that have me have forgotten, if you're tapping in, hot or cold take is where Cole tries to convince uh, me, who is a cynic, of one of his uh, of one of his musicology uh, takes theories. <laughs> my my wildest theories. It's it's also called is Cole full of shit. Here it is. So. Do you know what rigor mortis is specifically? Uh, is that what happens when like the body's like slowly de- uh, decay? Yeah, so it's the so it's where like the muscles and joints after you die stiffen for a period of one to four days. So here's my theory: rigor mortis is the third stage after death. And what does Kendrick say in the very beginning of the song before he starts rapping? All right, here we go. Third take. So is Kendrick. Not talking about the take of his, you know, of him trying to to nail his flow. Was he actually subtly alluding to the third stage of death, rigor mortis? My heart wants to say fuck off. Like my heart <laughs> literally wants to be like no. Like, but part of me, I'm on the fence. I'm not gonna say it's not total bullshit. Like okay, that's what okay. I'll put. I'm I'm on the middle. I'm closer to. Probably. I'm okay. I'm closer to probably. I'm probably like 40% bullshit, 60% <laughs> maybe Cole has a point. <laughs> Is that fair? That's fair. That's definitely fair. I'm I kind of on the fence about it too, but 
If it was anyone other than Kendrick, I'd be like, oh, that's just kind of a cool coincidence. But you just never know with Kendrick, especially on this album where he's, I got another, you'll hear my other take, it has to do with numbers as well. And he's doing a lot of number shit on this album. So that's what, that's what kind of makes me think like, oh, maybe he was doing some, some clever All right, stuff. so give me, give me your second take. <laughs> okay, so that's, it's, it's for another song, so I'm going to save it. All right, you're going to save it. So do we both agree that for round one, we are totally tapped into rigor mortis? A hundred percent. And can I just give my, my just under one minute theory about this song? Hell yeah, go off, Cole. All right, so he's talking about killing your favorite rapper. The song's called Rigor Mortis about death. And it's, you know, a jazz song. There's a jazz sample. He's doing a lot of jazz-like flows. Um so my interpretation of the song, and I don't know if it's on purpose or not, but to me it feels like a New Orleans jazz funeral procession. If you're if you're familiar with New Orleans jazz funeral processions, it's essentially a parade with jazz, upbeat jazz music, but it's a f- actual it's a funeral. So it's like a funeral, but also a celebration. And so, in my mind, I'm like jazz song, upbeat jazz song, talking about death, New Orleans jazz funeral procession. I don't know. What do you think? All right. So before I'm like, nah, that's not it, Cole. I'm going back to the rigor mortis video. Yeah. And while that, it's not, it does not have that New Orleans vibe to it in terms of like where they filmed it. But I think this looks like New York and they have the band in the middle of a street with like horns. There's a drummer. And that's what gives me the New Orleans vibes. That's what feels like people busking on the streets there's there's this um artist in the middle who's kind of like rapping or singing to the crowd getting people around so i i can wrap my head around this theory okay i can wrap my head around that i love that you brought the video up because i i got i got that theory after watching the video it's like is that what he's doing i think maybe that's maybe he doesn't have the budget to do a whole you know parade (laughs) at this point in his career (laughs) so so i think maybe that's the closest thing he can do uh but yeah I love that we agreed off the bat. So, are we going to disagree in round two? What did you give me the song that you think we're going to disagree on in round two? I'm going ADHD. Hey, doobies to the face. Fuck that. Twelve bottles in the case, nigga. Fuck that. Two pills in the halfway. Damn it. That was my round two pick, too. Oh, really? God damn it, Cole. <laughs> All right. I'm trying to like manufacture some beef on this shit. And we're like slow, really quick. Something that's happening on this podcast is I feel like we thought that would be so far apart, but maybe it's because we've just been doing so many episodes. Like, slowly but surely, we keep agreeing. Okay, but to our credit, I would say, yeah, one, we don't want to manufacture the beef. It comes naturally. But I think Section 80 is very clear about, like, what the strongest songs are. And I think... Yeah. I don't know if we'll get to talk about, like, critiques of the album, but there are some heavy critiques for this album. It's, it was weird returning to section 80 after doing damn Mr. Morale and good kid, Mad city, because it's like, those are pretty close to flawless albums. Um, or at least you can make the case and well, not Mr. Morale, but those other two. Yes. Okay. But section 80 is just like, I think everyone could have some critiques about it. It's very clearly a, a imperfect album and it's weird just weird to hear kendrick obviously he's young and and all that but like it's just weird to go back to kendrick album and and hear so many flaws we'll talk about the clunkers later but i do to your point think that like the top three to five songs are very apparent so it's like very weird to be like oh we're gonna both pick different songs i'm like 
Actually, not really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think the listeners will agree with us as well. So yeah, let's get into ADHD. It's on is on your list. So why was it on your list? I think this song. I'm gonna be honest. Did not like it as when it came out. I still don't necessarily like it. It's produced by Soundwave, but I think the reason I picked it is because it's so important to not only Kendrick's career but it who he wanted to be as an artist. Because this song is almost like a prototype for swimming pools where Kendrick is looking back at a generation and he's trying to come to grips with um, what's going on? Why are we addicted to drugs and prescriptions and alcohol and technology? And it's so clunky, but it's kind of funny that even back then, this was the track that fans... um, went to because it's not the it's not going to bowl you over with the lyrical virtuosity like rigor mortis it doesn't have like the j cole b of high power but this one does feel like kendrick sitting down and being like this is how i'm going to be a savior for my generation this is how i'm going to deliver us from evil in the wild um what do you think yeah, I think it's as closest to a hit. I mean, it, it kind of became a hit in its own right, even though it wasn't pushed as a single. I think it's its most complete song on the on the record in terms of just execution. It has a great hook. Uh, the beat, I think, works for the song. It just all the elements kind of come together, and it's very smooth, very palatable. You can see why it became yeah. so successful, right? Like, it's very easy to listen to, and it does lay a lot of thematic groundwork for like what would become the Kendrick Lamar that we now know. I love it. I mean, I I do think there's some like some clever lyricism here, although it's not, yeah, pounding you in the face with its virtuosity. Uh, and it does lead me to the second hot or cold take. Right. Uh, so let me just, it's let me just, <laughs> let me just set the stage here. Okay. So, so the section or the, the title itself, like section 80 is like, kind of a pun or, or like clever wordplay ADHD is talking about the attention deficit disorder but also ADHD the number 80 so he's he's showing us the 80s and HD uh, so we have that going on and obviously he's like drawing this parallel between drugs and alcohol and the abuse of drugs and alcohol and that like that that drugs and alcohol as a treatment to the 80s so the conditions of 80s babies um, the circumstances that they're born into, you know, encourage them to drink and numb their pain, which is what this song is talking about. It's a set at a house party. Kendrick meets this girl. They have a conversation. You know, she's wanting to get fucked up. Kendrick's not wanting to get fucked up. Sounds like he's trying to get laid. And they have this conversation at this house party. Um, and he asks her, how old are you? So age is something that comes up a lot on this song because in the chorus he says got a high tolerance when your age don't exist Um, and so my theory is here about the hook so remember this thing about age the hook is eight doobies to the face 12 bottles in the case two pills and a half weight so when you add those numbers up if you add eight twelve two and a half you get the the number 22.5 22 and a half and so at the end of the song, it kind of culminates into this thing about age. He says, 
you know, or she says to Kendrick, you know why we crack babies? Because we were born in the 80s. That's 80 HD. Crazy. Culminates with the revelation that ADHD is also ADHD. So my theory is when you add up the numbers in the hook, it equals the age that Kendrick Lamar was when he wrote the song. So that's my hot or cold take. Sadly, Cole. I think you're correct, and I don't like it. <laughs> that is the most head-ass shit that I've ever heard. And if Kendrick was like, because I know Kendrick was like in the studio, he was in, like he was rocking. He's like, man, this one's about to kill him. They don't know if they add these numbers up. And I'm like, dog, come on, just like, come on, just rap about how we shouldn't drink some cough syrup, bro. Get off the fucking stage, man. He does it. Okay, so he does it again and hold up. Um, I had this prepared if you were going to say I was full of shit because he says in, in Hold Up, he says, as a kid, I killed two adults. I'm too advanced. So you get the number two and two, 22. Next line, he says, I lived my 20s at two years old. So again, you get 22. And then truth be told, I'm like 87. 87 is the year he was born. So 20, he, he's doing the 22. I'm 22 years old. I was born yeah. in 1987. Katie's Babies, Section 80. Come on, man. This is cool. You don't you don't, it's not cool. It's not cool. It is like, it is what, so much is Section 80, I think the failings of it, which is like, this is a record that I used to think was better than Good Kid, Mad City, which is like one of my worst takes. Uh, going back to it, it's little stuff like that where I'm just like, it's too clever by a half where I'm mm. like, ah, I like, sh sure, you're showing off, fine. But I actually want to zero in on these lyrics for two specific reasons when he says man not one of our lives is caught up in the daily superstition that the world is about to end who gives a fuck we never do listen unless it comes with an 808 playstation and some drink looking around and all i see is a big crowd that's product of me i want to zero in for two reasons the first is doing damn last episode it's wild that even at 22 Kendrick was obsessed with this idea that the world was going to end soon, that we all had to become better versions of ourselves or prepare for this like coming, this um, this apocalypse. Yeah. So seeing him seeding that right now is wild. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, he's had that. He, that's in every album like that. I think it's even his like early, early mixtapes, him talking about like, yeah, the day of reckoning and all of us needing to be safe. Have you ever gone to a black barbershop, Cole? Uh, what do you think? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you, you got faded back in the day. I, maybe you was trying to look like Vanilla Ice nah, or, nah, you know, nah, 8 nah, Mile nah, Eminem. Nah. So in the barbershop, there's always that one barber who's like, yo, man, like, I, I got to let you know something. And I'm like, dog, can you just give me a Caesar so I can get the fuck out of here? And he's like, yo, the world is about to end. You need to repent. And I'm like, dude, I'm sure it is, bro. Just take my $20 and cut my <laughs> fucking hair. And Kendrick, with each album, and Mr. Morale has, like, calcified it. No, Kendrick's the dude who's gotten my hair. Who wants to convince me the world is about to end? <laughs> <laughs> and he's telling me, yeah, and he's like giving you a mathematical breakdown of all the numbers in the Bible and how they all add up to like 2011 and the world's going to end. That is literally, Cole, <laughs> this is why we're boys because that's exactly <laughs> what he's doing. And I also pointed out those lyrics because it's so funny where so much ADHD is like, Kendrick does have a point when he says like my generation sip and cough syrup like it's water. We're a few years removed from Future's mixtape run and the rise of Atlanta as a streaming juggernaut. 
But then when he's just like PlayStation Nansom drank, I'm like, Kendrick, what do you have against PlayStations, bro? Like, this is the least <laughs> of our concerns. You know what I mean? <laughs> Like, dude, that's funny that he zeroed in on video games. It's like, so like I'm 60 years old and looking down on the young generation wagging his finger. Oh, it's, it's definitely, I'm like, yo, can you attack Jeff Bezos or something, dude? Like, come on. They're like bigger fish to fry than people playing too much PlayStation. But it, we both picked ADHD because I do think like listening back to it, that you can't tell the story of Kendrick Lamar and where he was about to go and how big he was about to get without zeroing in on ADHD. Yeah, it's a good song. I mean, for all its flaws, I think it's easy to listen to. You can throw it on a playlist. It's going to work great. Um, it's just, yeah, it's just it's just a nice song. And I think maybe important for his discography, just, you know, the the question with Kendrick, as we've talked about, is, you know, he's a great rapper, but can he make songs? Which is the question for so many talented rappers that never really quite break through and ADHD I think is the first song we can point to that really broke through I guess how high power is that too but in a, that's more of a like a hip-hop like single I yeah. feel like ADHD is is a mainstream type of single and him really starting to prove himself as a songwriter not just a great rapper so Let's recap for the audience. Round one, we both agreed rigor mortis. Round two, we both agreed ADHD. Cole, should you or I go next and try to see if we can disagree on the next song? Yeah, I got one. I think you're, you're probably not going to like this one, but you know we've talked about it before. I'm going to go with No Makeup Today. The roses on your face light up the sky. No. Cut. No. Pick another song. <laughs> Pick another song. I'm just, I'm just fucking with you. Uh, oh my! I thought you were so serious, Cole. No, I thought you were. I was just like, dog. Like we are going to have trouble for the rest of these episodes if no makeup. Her vice gets anywhere near our list. Yeah, that's a. Uh, if if I had to was forced to make a top five worst Kendrick Lamar, Lamar songs, that might be number one on my list. <laughs> <laughs> Pick a, pick a real song, dude. <laughs> All right, I'm going with another obvious one. I'm going high power. Damn it! Wait, you agreed on this one? I thought you were gonna hit. I thought you were gonna pick Ronald Reagan. I was listening back, and it's obviously high power. Okay. Frightening, so fucking frightening. Enough to drive a man insane. I need a license to kill. I'm standing on a field full of landmines doing the moonwalk. Why? Just tell the people why we're both picking high power. <laughs> It's good. It's a good song. The beat is great. I think for all its flaws, it's again, it's it's ADHD quality in terms of just a good song. The verses all kind of tie together. You know, there's multiple kind of lyrical refrains within the verses that call back to each other. There's a great, you know, a great hook, um, an idealistic message that never really came to fruition in terms of just high power becoming an actual thing it was kind of short lived, but you know, in terms of like what Kendrick is trying to do on this album, telling these stories of his generation, the problems that he sees, the cycles that he's witnessed growing up in Compton, and him trying to offer some, some, you know, philosophy to abide by in order to escape, you know, these cycles. It's very much a young kid in his young 20s, you know, coming up with these ideal, you know, life kind of guidance principles. 
um, and maybe we look back and and find it's kind of cute. I think you know at the time it was genuine, and it really does show what Kendrick would try to do for the majority of his artistic career, which is offer solutions to the problems that he's seen uh, and it, and the problems that he grew up around. Um, so I think the message is is really heartfelt and genuine. I think there's definitely some flaws we can talk about, but before we get there, I, w- I want to hear about why you picked it. So I think in the same way that you can make a case that ADHD is a prototype for swimming pools, I think high power in a lot of ways is like a prototype for all right, where all right to me is not a protest song, but because it encapsulates a certain feeling, it becomes one after the fact. And I think high power is what happens when Kendrick tries to engineer a movement before he's ready to. Um, And I think that speaks to kind of the savior complex that we've continued to come back to this entire series where high power, it's the, he's trying to have a Rockefeller, put your diamonds in the sky type moment. Because for the people who weren't there, like it was something where he would want the audience to put up three fingers. Him and Absol would, talk about in interviews how the reason that they changed this song from black high power to just high power is they didn't want it to be a race thing. They wanted it to be something that connected people regardless of, you know, their race. So, but listening to high power now, it's still such a like, I don't know. It's still such a good song. Even if it's rough, when Kendrick says, And she always told me to pray for the weak. Them demons got me. I ain't prayed in some weeks. Dear Lord, come save me. The devil's working hard. Probably clocking double shift on all of his jobs. The way he raps that verse, the way he gets excited and theatrical, I think you're starting to really see on this song his ability to embody characters, to sell emotion that would be the cornerstone of why we talk about Good Kid, Bad City. He's working through it on this album and especially on this song, him becoming a narrator that can really, really, really get you to believe in the cinematic story. Yeah, and and that's a good point about him trying to like figure out a Rockefeller thing because it does, there is a part of this song that does feel forced. You know, this concept of high power does feel a little bit it's it's like what we talked about with Swimming Pool where he was trying to make a big single. It feels like he was very much trying to do something that would become a thing that people could do live. And maybe at the time it resonated. Just looking back, it just, yeah, it's you can kind of see the youth in it and the idea. And I think one of the things that's interesting about the song is that it comes last, you know, on the the album. And it was the it was the lead single, yet it's the last song on the project, which you just never really see. Yeah. <laughs> One, I think that's I think that speaks to Kendrick's conceptual priority. Like he's gonna always he's always going to prioritize album concept, you know, long term story arcs over hit singles and prior, like any other artist. I feel like would put high power or first or second on this project. Um, and so, with that in mind, you know, high power is supposed to function as this kind of culminating resolution of the Section 80 story. And, you know, when we get to High Power after listening through the entire album, it just doesn't have that um, that kind of magic quality that a song like Sing About Me does or a song like Mortal Man does where you get, like, the narrative 
resolution of the album. You get that cathartic payoff. And I feel like what I've zeroed in on about Section 80 and I think why it is not as effective as a good kid or his later albums is because you can't really point to a song on this this project where he's vulnerable. Every time he's mm. speaking about Compton and what he sees, it's very much as an observer, as a witness. And he never really goes into his own experience. He does like in like, he'll do it in a bar or two. But most of the time when he's talking about himself on Section 80, he's bragging. He's He's saying that he's the best rapper. He's saying he's above everyone and he's, you know, he's kind of putting himself above others. And so when he does talk about Keisha or he does talk about Tammy, it feels almost like condescending uh, because yeah. he because he's not sharing that vulnerability. And I think so when you get to a song like High Power, you know, whereas we in, a, in later works, we would see Kendrick go from this vulnerable kid or person who went through this hardship and this tough experience and came out the other side with this high power philosophy instead it comes out it just comes off as this guy trying to put himself on a pedestal and be this leader without sharing so much about himself and so that's why the song just doesn't in terms of its placement on the album you know not talking about it outside the context of the album as a song but just its placement within the, the album that's why it just feels a little flat when you get to the song and that's why i feel like the section 80 concept itself doesn't really resonate as strongly as a good kid or his later concepts and we should also mention section 80 was written in 6 weeks yeah it was it was 6 weeks it was one of his fastest written projects and it definitely has that feel of being a little rushed, not yeah. fully baked. Yeah. So, you, do you get that feeling too? Like, just that lack of vulnerability is something that this album lacks. Absolutely. I think the funny thing about this album is that Kendrick is rapping with such a remove, where it's like ADHD. He's rapping from this this standpoint of like, this is what's wrong with this generation. And you take "Swimming Pools," a song that neither of us really like that much, but he's telling you about how drinking affected his family which yeah. already is way more relatable it's not like finger wagging of him it's literally like no i'm gonna make this song that's supposed to be a hit but in the course of it i'm going to reveal something about you a song like no make up her vice which is very much uh kendrick to your point talking down where it's so much about like girl you look good with no makeup on it's just kind of like well oh kendrick stop but on good kid mad city it's so much more relatable when he's telling this story of shireen and being this horny little gremlin teenager right. and the the lengths that he'll go to to chase after shireen and his his parents yelling at him being like dog like chill that to me is so much more relatable and you feel so much more for kendrick when things go left versus when there's a song where he's like sitting his little sister down and being like this is why you shouldn't be a right. sex worker and you're like oh <laughs> like that's right. i think we've been talking around it but the failings of this album to your point is the fact that like hey kendrick before you judge everyone else please tell us your story because i'm gonna learn so much more from that yeah it's a, and it's all very good intentioned right and i think part of what section 80 why it's so important to his catalog was like he's he was getting the necessary reps he needed to make good kid and to make that project as you know streamlined and successful as it was because without these kind of clunks that he does address on good kid mad city like keisha comes up 
on Sing About Me and forcing Kendrick to be like, did I take the right approach with Keisha's song? I was trying to do something good, but I kind of failed in the execution of it. And I think that's Section 80 as a whole, you know, shows the seeds of something great. It shows the potential of Kendrick. He's starting to get, you know, this, these concepts worked out, these ideas, what he wants to say. It just hadn't found the, the correct way or the most successful way to say it. And so, you know, when I always think about Section 80 as a whole, the analogy I always use is like, it's, it's the year in which the up-and-coming NBA team makes the playoffs for the first time. You know, they're the eighth seed going at the, the number one seed, the former champs. And they end up losing the series. But you know that next year, the year after, watch out for this team. And I feel like that's what Section 80 is. It's, it's, it's flawed, but it shows so much promise. And obviously, we know the conclusion. He delivers on the promise and then some. So I couldn't agree more, Cole. That is so beautiful. Before, honestly, we get to nominations, can I, can I go to Charles's Troll Corner, Trolling for oh. Sue? I thought, okay, I didn't know if you had one because you said you're a little, little tapped out of the No, table. I have one, and it's related okay. to high power. Okay. The people might get on me for this one. I think high power was famously produced by J. Cole. Kendrick gets this beat after the XXL freshman shoot. Going to be real with you, Cole. I think it's a blessing in disguise that we never got the J. Cole. We never got the <laughs> J. Cole Kendrick collab album i actually think that it is like a blessing in disguise it is something that like j cole fans and kendrick fans have been yeah annoying both artists uh about for you to for, this day yeah to this day and it's funny i don't know about you as much as like kendrick and j cole were lumped together as like similar artist oh yeah like message boards and twitter and all this shit we're like oh man they're so deep oh my gosh they're so (laughs) conscious rap i feel like artistically kendrick and j cole cannot be farther apart in terms of what they're trying to accomplish in their music so i never actually got why people thought that the two of them together on an album wouldn't make artistic sense am i being a hater i don't know if i i don't know if i agree with their that far apart i get i mean i get what you're saying they're not as close as people make it out to be or definitely i think it's clear now 10 years later how different they have and and are at the time though i can see why people make the correlation just because they were both leaning towards kind of quote-unquote conscious rap that also had you know mainstream appeal um but it's kind of I, i get your point i don't i don't know if it would ever live up to the hype and plus like kendrick would just kill j cole every single song so i mean I yeah, like- that is i didn't want to say it. you said it <laughs> guys do not attack me cole said it where i'm just like the i'll be honest do does anybody really want to hear kendrick a over nothing but j cole beats and this is not me attacking j cole at all i just think he's a better rapper than he is producer one two uh what would this be about like kendrick raps about literally what it means to be a black man in america the world ending um trying to be a savior for a generation all of these weighty topics and j cole just kind of raps about wanting to be the best rapper and like how great it is to return back to fayetteville uh north carolina and just kind of very nostalgic um shit it's not 
it doesn't seem like J. Cole necessarily ever wants to be overtly political, hence why him and No Name went at it a, uh, a year or so ago. So it's just like, that's my hot take where I'm just like, I just never really got why a Kendrick J. Cole project would be enticing. Not your hottest take, but I, I get it. I get it. I mean, it's it's one where I guarantee you people are probably going to be like, fuck this dude. <laughs> but yo, we're going to recap our picks and then we're going to get into nominations. So round one, both of us agreed, rigor mortis. Round two, ADHD. And round three, we agreed again with high power. We are about to get into the time where we pick what song is going to be the last song standing from section 80. But before we get to that, we're going to go to a little bit of a break. Make sure you stick around. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah. A toast to breakfast. All right, we're back, and it's time for final song nominations for Section 80. And Cole, I think that I just got a note from the commissioner. Do you want to know what the commissioner <laughs> has said? All right, what? The commissioner has said that due to us agreeing for three rounds, we are about to be penalized, okay? <laughs> okay. Because we agreed for three rounds, the last song standing that we both pick cannot be the same song. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. And to make this fair, Commissioner Kevin Pooler, audio production extraordinaire, needs to pick a number between 1 and 10, and the person who gets closest gets to have the first pick. Are we all in agreement? Yeah, that sounds good. Kevin, what do you got? I got a number in mind. All right, Cole, you can go first since the commissioner gave me the letter. Oh, is it 1 through... What's one, the number? like? 1 through 10. One through ten. Okay. You got it, Kevin? I got it. I'm going eight. Section Damn. eighty. Eight is eight is my lucky number. All right. I will go five. I chose seven. Yes. God damn it. It rhymes Hell with yeah. my name. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Cole, you get the first pick. 
All right. So I'm going to just go with my gut. I'm going to go with my favorite. I'm going to go Rigor Mortis. I love this song. It's virtuosic rapping. I need for my list. I've been looking at my list. I've got Mad City, which is a banger. Also virtuosic in in delivery in a different way. But then I have two kind of more subdued conceptual songs, emotional songs with Fear and Mother I Sober. I need Kendrick's one of the greatest rappers ever, arguably the greatest. No, he's not. And I need I need a song that represents that rigor mortis, virtuosic in its rhyming, in its rhyme flows, cadence. It's got everything. I'm going rigor mortis. So I wanted rigor mortis, but honestly, this is fine. Because looking at my list, I already have Mad City. I already have Father Time. I already have DNA. I think Mad City and DNA do something very similar to rigor mortis. And I think rigor mortis is a lesser song when compared to those two. So my picks are either going to be ADHD or high power. And... Hmm. I think I'm just going to go ADHD. I don't like this song that much, but we talked about what it means for Kendrick. And I think this is still, if you were a Kendrick fan early on and you were seeing him in in concert, I think this song has a really, really special place in your heart. So I'm going to go with ADHD, even though. It's such a, such a normie pick, dude. Come on. Dog, I can't, I can't pick the one with the big Colby, bro. Like, Come on, man. <laughs> oh, like, all right. And to be fair, Cole, you're picking the ones where it's like, this is for the real heads. You're like, Mother Eye Sober Fear this is for the real ones. And I'm like, nah. Actually, our list perfectly kind of encapsulate who we are as people. No, for sure. It really does. And that's why I kind of regret not picking Sing About Me. But then, uh, then if I were to look at my list, if I had picked Sing About Me, Fear and Mother Eye Oh, Sober, it would have been a wrap. It would have been that's mad. That's intense. That's that's intense. So here, let's let's uh, recap one more time. Going into the next episode, Cole has Mad City, Mother Eye Sober, Fear, and Rigor Mortis. Going to the next episode, I have Mad City, Father Time, DNA, and ADHD, aka what Cole likes to call the normie picks. <laughs> Yo. Cole, I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty good about these lists. I'm actually feeling pretty good uh, as we start to really get to the end game. How about you? Yeah, we are closing in on on the final. So we have one Kendrick album left to Pimp a Butterfly. That episode is coming last. So our next episode I'm really excited about because we're going to do a lot. We're going to do all the Lucys. We're going to do all the singles. All the mixtapes are going to be in contention. Anything not, you know, major Kendrick project is going to be in contention for next week's episode. All the cartoons and serial heads are are going crazy. They're going wild. <laughs> there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot. There's obviously like overly dedicated and in his early mixtapes, but there's also like Black Panther. There's also oh, there's nothing off Black Panther. <laughs> there's also Untitled Unmastered, which has some great songs on it. Um, so there's there's, there's going to be a lot. A lot. Yeah. So if y'all want to argue with us, make sure you go to social media at Dissect Podcast or Charles X Holmes and yell at us. Tell us why we're dumb and why this is one of the best Kendrick Lamar projects of all time. I want to send a special, special thanks to the people that make this podcast possible. I'm talking about our producer, Justin Sales, our audio production wizard, Kevin Pooler, and the beautiful music that is provided by Devin Ronaldo. We will see y'all next week.
Cole. We're back for our stingers. And uh, Cole, I have I have finished Bo Burnham's Inside. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. Yes. What do you think? Um, I'll start off with the positives, which I rarely do. Um, I think Bo Burnham, I actually really enjoy his singing voice. I think he, his singing voice is just very, very, very uh, enjoyable to listen to. Um, I think his song craft is amazing. He is obviously someone that is super, super talented. Um, I think I said this last episode, he's someone who knows not only how to craft a song, but he knows what like what makes a pop song tick. Yeah. He knows what makes a Broadway S song tick. Yeah. Like he's very good in that. Um, and lastly, I think that his idea, I love him as a director. That's what I'll say because I watched uh, Rathaniel, the, Ger- uh, yeah. the Gerard Carmichael special that he did, um, that he directed. Beautiful. One of the most beautifully shot specials I've ever seen. I think he's a very talented individual. With all of that being said, do you want to guess what score I gave this on le- my letterbox? Oh, God. Out of five stars. It should be five stars, but it's probably going to be two, maybe three. Let me check just just for posterity, because I can't tell if I gave it a one and a half or I oh, gave it a two. Oh, fuck you, dude. Fuck you. Ah! <laughs> I gave it a one and a half. Oh, my God. What? I, Why? I le- here's, here's the thing. I left it with a migraine, um, and it combined two things. Like it's It was too close to home. Because it's too, the Venn diagram was like theater kid energy on one side and way too online. And I am both of those things. And as I told (laughs) my uh, significant other today, I'm just like, I am both of those things and I hide them with shame. No one needs to know. I'm just (laughs) like, this is a little nugget for me and no one will ever know I was a theater kid. No one will ever know that I'm way too online and need to log off. So like just seeing it back to me, I was just like, I don't need this. I also... I've talked to Sean, uh, our boss, great podcast host on The Big Pick, about I tend to not like art about the internet. Hmm. It's not that I don't think that it's bad. I just tend to, as someone who's so online, it's almost like I'm getting like a PowerPoint presentation of something that like all of the like my friends who are 20s, 30-year-olds who are just like, we grew up on this shit and it's curled our brains. It feels like I'm getting a PowerPoint on my life and I'm just like, yeah, don't need this. What I'm getting from you is that this is all your personal problems, all right? This has nothing to do with inside. It's just triggering you and then you're just taking it out on this beautiful piece of art. If we're going to be real, I don't think it's funny either. I didn't laugh once. What? Oh my God. I didn't laugh once. And this isn't me saying like a lot of this is, I think, what makes it hard is that so much of comedy is whether you find this funny or not, like there are still like people who to this day are like, did you watch the Dave Chappelle specials? And I'm like, no, he's, he hasn't been funny since the Chappelle show. Fuck off. Like, so like a lot of comedy. Yeah, I get it. Com- comedy is a very specific, you have a certain type of thing you think is funny. And if a comedian doesn't hit that, no matter how good they are in that lane, you're just not going to find it funny. I get it, that. I get that Bo Burnham's humor is probably not for everyone. I'm just surprised that you didn't like you know, the second half of the film where it gets pretty dark and like, because you say it's like a bullet point presentation on the internet, but it is that in some ways. But what I think he does really, really well is capture the emotional feeling of being on, the emotional result of being on the internet, living online or or living through the dynamics of what usually happens online and the discourse that happens there. The way that he captured that emotionally, I thought was no one that has done to date. 
uh, and as specifically as he has. Uh, it's called Everything Everywhere All at Once. That's not about the internet so much, though. Like, this is, I mean, he's in a room, he's inside alone, which is exactly how we interact on the internet, is inside our house alone. Yet we're sharing all these things about ourselves online, which is why he does the whole inside out motif. Like, I'm I'm very disappointed, but I'm I gonna- I know I get all of these things. I get what like I got what it was about, especially that after the intermission of you know him revealing that he wanted to go back after having nervous breakdowns, wanted to go back to um, stand up, and then the minute he's about ready to do that emotionally, the world shuts down, and you're kind of realizing everything that he's doing um, is kind of a result of this, everything he feels about the internet, everything he feels about himself and the performance. Cause to right. me, insight is about how we perform, not yep. only how we perform online, but how we perform in real life. Yep. Like when he's calling his mom, it's like all of the kind of things we do in daily life. So I got that. Like I like structurally, I'm like, Oh, this is, this is smart. Like, th- like the thing I will never say is like inside is dumb. Like this is well thought out. It's well paced. It's well made. He's a good director. Just not for me. Is that fair? It's fair. You're allowed your opinion. Your opinion is just flat out wrong. But let's let, let's not belabor the point. Let's go to a better work of art. Oh, let's God, go fuck to you. Genuine's one hundred percent genuine. Hundred percent genuine. Okay. I get this is like last week. I went into Usher, kind of closed minded. Although I do, I, I will say like Pony as a song. You probably have to put it in like the top. 10 songs of the 1990s. Did it come out in ninety in the 90s? Yeah, late 90s. Like, that song's song. fucking dope. Perfect song. Um, but I didn't, I haven't heard 100% Genuine, but I also didn't realize that it was produced by Timberland. Yeah. So you could have just, you could have just told me that and I would have been in because I love Timberland, especially this era of Timberland. When I put on 100% Genuine, I was floored first by the, the beats. You know, the production is just top, top notch as you'd expect from Timberland. Can I tell you that, in all honesty, that I got chills during one of the songs? Oh, what song was it? I think it's the second song. It's one of the bigger songs where he says, oh, it's, it's so anxious when he goes, uh, so anxious. That part right there. So anxious is an amazing song. It's like perfect. It's a really good song. Uh, and I got chills during that, specifically when he says so anxious. Um, so again, you kind of won me over with this this really good good album. I, I don't know if I'll return to it that often, but there's definitely some songs I want to put on it. Like a maybe I need to play, uh, make a playlist of all my favorite songs so that the listeners can kind of go through this with me. Yo, I am so I am so happy because here's the thing: everybody's like, "Oh, 100 genuine." This is Charles joking. I'm like, no, actually, what Timbaland's doing on that production wise, like, there's like fucking dinosaur fucking noises and shit. <laughs> it's just the craziest thing ever, but it works. Come on, yeah, it's a good pick. So, what do you what do you got for me this week? All right, what do I got for you? All right, so we're not going to do an album. We're just going to do. We're going to go down some of my favorite songs. Okay. These are some of my favorite songs from the from my cooking playlist, which I listen to every single day. So I'm going to give you three songs to listen to. Okay. Number one, one of my favorite R&B songs of all time. I need a girl part two, not part one. I need a girl part two. I need a girl part two. All right. All right. Second, give this one a chance. It is one of my favorite songs of all time. Daft Punk absolutely love this song. It's one of their favorite songs of all time. Tony Braxton's You're Making Me High. Mm, okay. And then last, Four Page Letter by Aaliyah. 
I love Aaliyah. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna, so I'm gonna go and I don't know that song off the top of my head. So I'm excited to get back to. But I love Aaliyah. All right, and what? Give me get we at we're we're trading culture on this podcast. So give me your your cultural uh, project. All right, so we're gonna go. We're gonna go back. I've, I've talked about my my education with classical music on this podcast. So how familiar are you familiar with classical music at all? Uh. Not that. Okay, yeah. No. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna. This is gonna be a couple couple of weeks. I'm gonna do this because I'm gonna. I want to get. I want to get you to the really good stuff, but it's kind of out there. So I don't want st- to. I don't want to scare you. No, don't give me the normie shit. Give me the real shit. Well, I want to give you. Okay, you want to start. You want to start real. I want to start. Don't don't. I put you in the deep end. Okay. Okay. All right. I give you 100 genuine. Give me the real uncut shit. All right. If the, okay, you're asking for it. I'm gonna. You're gonna listen to Bella Bartok. He's a. Hungarian. All right, you're gonna drop this. Drop this. In, <laughs> drop I'll, this. Into I'll send it to you later. But you're gonna listen to Bella Bartok String Quartet, number okay. four. This is so. When I went to to school for classical music, I came in like pretty much everyone. You think you know classical music? You think you it's Mozart? Mozart? It's pleasant. It's you know, it's just safe and warm. Whatever. When you hear Bella Bartok, this is the string quartet that like, oh, this is classical music too. This is what I can write. This is what I can do. You're gonna be. I don't know. It's gonna be really interesting your reaction because it's <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of. I'm out so there, excited. I'm so excited for this. Right. It, if if anything is gonna change your mind about what classical music can be, this is what it did okay. for me, and it's really opened my mind to this other world of classical music that I didn't know. So Bella Bartok string quartet. I'll send you. I'll send you a link, but. Uh, just, just be, sit down, give it a nice listen, give it your attention, okay. write down your emotions, and I'm really looking forward to it. I love this assignment. I love <laughs> this assignment. That's all? That's it. Yep. It's enough. All right, yo. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to our stingers. And uh, Cole and I becoming better friends than I ever thought was possible with another human. Yo, we'll see y'all next week. Peace. <laughs>